When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Sarah Bivens. And I'm Matthew Bivens. And this is the Doing It at Home podcast, the only podcast dedicated to empowering, loving, and honest conversations around home birth. What started as a fun way for us to document our own home birth journey has turned into a platform for sharing birth stories, resources, and education with the goal of empowering mamas and families to make the birth decisions that work best for them. Plus, we get into the antics, breakdowns, and breakthroughs of our own experience of marriage and parenthood. All right. You ready, babe? Yep. Let's do it, mama. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Doing It At Home podcast. It's birth story time. And this is really cool for multiple reasons, which I'll get into in a second. But we are talking to Ariana Tobuala and hearing her birth story today. Not just her birth story, which is amazing in and of itself. Uh, she has her son, Leon, at home in Playa del Carmen, Mexico, actually, with the love and support of her husband, Mauricio. So we get to hear that. But then also, Ariana is a maternal health consultant. And she's in private practice working with and helping self-employed women prepare for maternity leave because not sure if you knew this, but there's no federal policy on maternity leave. <coughs> Excuse me, the tickle in my throat. So anyway, she is a powerful woman out there in the world supporting us mamas in doing what we love to do, exploring that world for ourselves, and also maintaining uh, our sense of motherhood and that nurturing and all of that beautiful stuff. So we talk about her birth story. We talk about the work that she does. And she also shares with us some of her tips for moms who might be self-employed or exploring that and how to just create a healthy mindset, habits, action items for you in that realm. So, so grateful to Ariana for being with us. And then stay tuned because there's going to be a part two to this. And that part two is Ariana's birth story in Espanol. So all in Spanish for any of you Spanish speaking listeners out there or family members who are native speakers, or maybe that's their first and only language to share empowered, awesome birth stories in Spanish and to represent that part of our community, um, which is so near and dear to me in particular. And I just know it's so important. So anyway, stay tuned for that because it's coming up right after this episode. So check that out. But first, our conversation in English with Ariana about her birth story, her work, and all sorts of other great stuff. Enjoy. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. 
And with Dutch Boy's easy opening, smooth pouring container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards. Hi, Ariana. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, Sarah and Matthew. I'm really excited and a little nervous to be here, but looking forward to diving in with you both. Well, we are super excited to have you on the show as well, and we just appreciate you carving out some time to hang out with us. So, Ariana, tell us just a little bit about yourself before we dive into here to some really awesome stuff. I'm really excited for this conversation because it's going to be very multifaceted as we talked about before we hit record. So before all that, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So I'm the mom to a two-year-old at the time of this recording. His name's Leon. And uh, his birth story and kind of the first uh, two years of his life have really followed a trend that was present in my life of growing up in a bilingual, bicultural, binational household and going back and forth between California and Mexico. Um, and my my family life took me back and forth between the two. My work life as a maternal health researcher and consultant took me back and forth between the two. Um, and my son was born in Mexico, and now we are back in California. So it's uh, it's kind of a lifelong trend, an intergenerational trend, apparently. <laughs> That's so cool. Hey, it works, right? It works for you, and it's what you've created as you know your work life balance and whatever all those things are. However, you want to you know, categorize that, but it's you. Yeah. It is a big part of how I grew up and how I'm going to raise my family. Mm, that's awesome. And I think you're the first mama who has given birth in Mexico that we've had on the show. Is that right, babe? I think so. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. We have to get a map in our office of all of the births we've, oh, yeah. you know, heard stories of and put little pins in them. Put little we've... pacifiers on <laughs> Yeah, pacifiers, pacifiers. <laughs> That's, That's perfect. so great. <laughs> um, so we're going to switch this up a little bit. A lot of times with our, our interviews and our birth stories, we have a lot of backstory into the birth, but I want to just du- ju- jump and dive. So jive, and essentially. Jive. I want to jive <laughs> right into birth story because then after that, I want to get into this maternal health consultant thing because I'm sure a lot of ears popped up and we're like, um, how do I get a hold of this woman? And how do I basically borrow her brain for a while? Because I need some of that. <laughs> so we are going to do that. Um, but just share birth time with us. Sure. Um, so I, I'll give a little bit more context sure. about like entering into, into birth. Um, <laughs> and in, in Mexico, um, the midwives do not have hospital privileges. So I knew that I wanted midwifery care. I'm a maternal health professional by training and had worked in clinical settings, community settings. Um, so I was familiar with you know, the OB model of care and the midwifery model of care. And I knew that I wanted the midwifery model of care. And so my only option was a home birth <laughs> um, in Mexico. So I, I will say before that period of life where I was kind of thinking about pregnancy and looking at um, options for care, I didn't ever characterize myself as like the home birth kind of person. You know, it has, I think we all kind of bring to mind a little stereotype of what a home birth mama <laughs> looks like. Sure. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't uh, align myself or kind of think of, think of myself um, when I, when that stereotype came to mind. Um, but in any case, I, I, 
became a home birth mama. Um, and so had a fantastic um, midwifery care experience. And really the the challenge kind of going into birth for me was that I, I've been surrounded by maternal health, birth, maternity care data for the early part of my career. And at one point, my midwife just told me, she was like, you have to stop reading. You have to stop looking stuff up. Mm. Just stop consuming, analyzing, um, searching for information and, and lean into intuition a little bit. Um, so for me, the last few months of pregnancy and birth were really about how can I let go of learning and lean into just being and doing and Mm. listening. Um, so that in essence is like, if I had to summarize it in a nutshell, I would say that is how I, um, experienced my birth was really like a non guided, non, um, no instructions, just going with whatever was happening at the moment. And when I had a question or when I I remember saying to my midwife, I feel like I just need some guidance right now. Um, And I mean, her approach really was like, you, you, you don't need me to guide you, you have some guidance inside yourself that you can call upon. And so she just looked at me and said, you're going to meet your baby soon. (laughs) And that that was her guidance, right? Um, Which for me was exactly what I needed. Right. I, I have a couple of questions. So how common is home birth in Mexico? Because you were saying, you know, the how the regulations are with midwives and hospitals and things like that. So how often do you see it? Yeah. So uh, today there's like, you know, not even double digits of um, home births happening in Mexico because wow. the... In 2010, um, a national healthcare system came into play. And before that, there, obviously there's, there's big maternal health disparities. So Mm -hmm. women, um, indigenous women in particular, um, Afro-Mexican women, um, and, and rural women, um, didn't have access to give birth in clinics. And so a lot of home birth and midwifery care was really happening on the margins for vulnerable populations. Mm. Um, There's kind of like in the U.S., there's been kind of a shift to, you know, women who are middle class or women who are not indigenous um, really being interested in birthing outside of institutions. Um, So there's been that little shift. It's not by any means like a big movement. Um, And... um, And, you know, so it's shifting little by little, but a lot of women who previously had home births and had midwifery care um, now are um, essentially having C-sections. Mexico has like a 56% C-section rate. Mm. Um, So there's there's lots entangled there about race, class, um, and kind of power um, of institutions and, and power that essentially has been taken away from midwives in a pretty big way. Um... And so, you know, it gets it gets a little messy, but very small percentage of midwifery care and home births. Jeez. So then I, I know we said we were going to jump right into birth story. I don't know who I was kidding because there's just too much stuff that you needs needs to be shared. What um, how did you find a midwife then with like that landscape and how it is? What was that process? Yeah. So um, I happened to know the, the woman who became my midwife. Um, through through previous work together. So okay. she 
Um, she sat on the Mexican Midwifery Association <laughs> um, board, and we had done some work. There is a pretty strong, um, the MacArthur Foundation, which is one of the large philanthropists in Mexico. They have um, they have kind of pledged a big part of their um, portfolio to reintegrating midwifery care into the Mexican health system, um, because like in other countries, births used to be attended by midwives in hospital settings. Um, and then a particular, a particular kind of restructuring of the health system slowly turned midwives into more of like assistance and then eventually pushed them out of, um, of the health system uh, altogether. So there is a big kind of resurgence of advocacy around reintegration. Um, but for now, it, it happens kind of ad hoc on the margins, as you can find a midwife, hear about a midwife, word of mouth, <laughs> that type of thing. Right, right. So then what was the response or feedback from family uh, or and your husband? What was that process in, in moving to that decision? Mm-hmm. So my husband was really open to it. I, I don't remember ever having a discussion about the decision. We both knew Sabrina's my midwife's name. And so we both knew Sabrina. And when I found I was out, I was pregnant. We just looked, you know, we were kind of like Sabrina when we looked at each other. Um, and, and we knew, I mean, we had been living in, in that part of Mexico in particular for a while, um, where the C-section rate is even higher. It was about at 86%. And essentially, if you go into a hospital, the, you are pretty, can be pretty sure you're coming out, um, having had a C-section. So we, we just knew we didn't want that to be kind of the, the expected route um, and I knew a lot of women who had tried to find providers, OBs in hospital settings, um, and still weren't able to, to have a natural or vaginal birth. Wow. That's, yeah, that I'm just like, wow, I'm just listening. And I'm, it's just so interesting how birth varies, you know, even in the States from state to state. And then there's this global um, you know, factor as well of, of just how all the variants, it just really amazes me. Um, so then your plan for birthing time, were you planning on having Sabrina and your husband and anyone else or just you guys? Yeah. So Sabrina comes with two assistants who are student midwives who have um, trained with her. She, she runs a midwifery school. So there's usually two out of the bunch who are always, um, attending and, I had to talk my mother-in-law out of <laughs> out of her expectation that she would be at the birth. <laughs> ah, um, yes. <laughs> oh, <that's funny. laughs> so that was um, a difficult conversation, but I think was an important uh, conversation to have because it kind of scaffolded, you know, what comes up throughout the course of motherhood, which is um, which is centralizing your experience and your family's experience um, as opposed to trying to meet everyone else's needs and expectations and desires about how you raise your family. That needs to be on a plaque yeah, in every seriously. woman's house or that needs to be given to her after giving birth. Like, here you go. <laughs> so the day that my son was born, um, I woke up around 3 a.m. just noticing some tightening, um, 
And I had had some really intense back labor the week before, and this just felt different. So I was like, first of all, thank God, it does not feel like what it felt like last week. (laughs) And second of all, um, I I think my kid's going to be born today. So I, um, I actually just walked around the house, hung out, you know, paused when I needed to, um, for about two hours. And then it got more intense around five. So I woke my husband up and, uh, and we went out for a walk. Um, and it actually, you know, it was, we were in the Riviera Maya, so it was incredibly humid, but at 5 a.m. it was not quite at its peak. So it was relatively nice out. Um, I remember like putting a dress on and just going out for a walk. And there were a lot of times where, you know, we got up early in the morning and walked to a coffee shop. And so um, as we walked around, we were like, I wish the coffee shop was open. Um, And at, we did that for about two hours. And then uh, and then knew it was time to to call the team, uh, which my husband did. And by that time, I was um, I wasn't actually keeping that close track of how often I was having contractions. I just kind of was looking for like that feeling, that sensation, that things were happening. Again, I was really trying to um, listen to my body more than listen to the data. (laughs) Um, so I just said, call her and tell her she should come. And they, I mean, they talked for a while. And after the fact, I learned that she was like, Oh, well, she's only been, you know, feeling this for a few hours. And should we come now? They were kind of talking out whether or not they should come now. Um, and my husband was just like, she says, come now. So I say, come now. Um, so they made their way actually from Tulum to Playa del Carmen, which is about a 40 minute drive. Um, and they got to us around 8 a.m. Um, it was a Sunday and every Sunday, my neighbor across the street would um, make cochinita pibil, which is where you bury, essentially bury uh pork in like a fire underground and it cooks all night so he Saturday night to Sunday night this thing had been cooking and at like 8 a.m I was like I want a freaking pork sandwich like it was just it was really weird (laughs) and um and that's just what I wanted so I got a sandwich and of course had a bite and I was like okay that's enough um and things just continued I we didn't have any clocks up. I was in my bedroom most of the time. We didn't have clocks up and the um, midwives keep like a, a paper um, partogramma, partogram. Um, I'm totally messing that up in English, so you can feel free to correct. <laughs> oh, no, no, um, you got it. <laughs> and And so they would keep track and, you know, had their Doppler going every so often. Um, but I was really like just in the zone and didn't know what they were tracking or what was being tracked um, and was kind of fine with it. Surprisingly, I thought I, I thought that I might have been a little um, like wanting to know more information during the process, but I was just kind of checked out. The one thing that was incredibly annoying was that I, my left leg would cramp every time I got 
um, I started feeling that tightening. And so essentially, you know, by the time the morning continued, it just felt like my left leg was in like a, a total cramp for most of the day. Um, which was super annoying. And I remember I had read Ina Mae Gaskin's book and was just like, shake my thighs, shake my thighs, and just <laughs> kept on telling people to, to do that. Um, I, in hindsight, um, I remember um, that I knew my midwife had a very hands-off approach and that she um, she had talked a lot in my point kind of within the context of how she teaches her students um, that she doesn't do um, in in Spanish it's tacto vagina and she doesn't do um, like physical uh, vaginal examinations mm-hmm. um, so she would every so often walk by and lift up the back of my dress to see essentially to see like what my butt crack looked like. And Mm. that is how she could, and that's how her teacher taught her and how she taught her students to tell how things were progressing. Um, And, you know, I hadn't like at this point I had not had any bloody show, not had water breaking. Um, And so that was really kind of the, the only, I think, thing that they were going off of. Um, that's interesting. So I've heard of that. And cause you know, Matthew was like, what? Like, I don't know if you've heard of that before, but there's almost like a line that's supposed to be created or visible like above your butt. And that's where you can kind of, it's indicating dilation. I don't think it's all the time and always looks the same, but there's a, a thing they're looking for there to kind of indicate, right? Yeah, it's like a little colored line that will appear as the, essentially as the body creates room. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, Matthew's Googling right now. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what I'm Googling, but that's, that's awesome. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I've seen a few posts on Instagram about that, and I've seen some examples. You can almost like this faint blue-ish line, almost like a vein or something. Um, but that's that's very cool. Yeah, so... And my, I mean, I didn't, my water didn't break and I didn't, um, kind of have any of those, you know, things people say to look out for as the first signs of going into labor, uh, Uh, bloody show, water breaking, things like that. I didn't have any of that until like an hour before my son was born. So the morning continued on and, um, and I mean, they, I essentially, I didn't even make it. They had brought a tub and I didn't make it to the tub, um, by, by 3 p.m., um, my son was born, and I again had the experience, which I was grateful for, am grateful for, because it was what I needed. I had the experience of no directed pushing and really no directed anything. So I would just kind of rotate between um, the these stations that they had set up. So you know, the bathroom was one station where there was a toilet that sometimes I would sit on. Um, they had um, you know, a big ball, uh, they had the shower set up, um, and they had what they called the throne, which is one of those like half moon birthing stools. Um, oh, uh-huh. and so I ended up giving birth on the throne. Um, and yeah, I had been to a hypnobirthing class with my husband, uh, and I mostly did the opposite of that. I did like the, the screaming birthing technique Awesome. <laughs> um, when it came down to it. Uh, 
my my midwife and her two students um, were kind of sitting at my feet at this. They, I mean, it's not technically called a throne, but they just kept on referring to it as your throne. I love that. <laughs> um, so that's how it always comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my son came out with uh, his cord kind of wrapped around the neck and in a little X, which my, uh, my husband was, and still to this day is like super excited about because he's like, just like how the Mexican revolutionaries came out with their, you know, they have the, the bullet like X across their the oh. front of their chest from the Mexican revolution, Wow, uh, which I was like, you know, whatever, but he, he yeah. <laughs> latched onto it from, <laughs> from the birth experience. Uh, my husband was sitting right behind me. Um, and, and the amazing thing is that I had not had the foresight to be like, Oh, take some pictures or anything like that. But one of the student midwives was essentially taking snapshots here and there. And she just sent me, you know, 40 pictures, um, right after. And, and I will say that I, even more than the support that I felt during the birth itself, the postpartum care that I had was just amazing. And I, you know, a little bit of context is that it's amazing or it's amazing probably compared to like the shitty postpartum care that and expectations that that most of us had. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so it was, I mean, really, it, it mapped on really well to the World Health Organization's recommendations about postpartum care, which is care you know, one day, three day, five day, two weeks and six weeks after, but they came the next day and they gave me a bath. They came three days after and, you know, just helped me walk around. They, they came a week, they came two weeks, uh, they came four weeks, they came six weeks. And I just felt like I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine what it must be like to have to leave your house to seek out care. And I Mm. can totally understand why lots of people don't even make it to a postpartum visit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, you got to make the appointment, who knows how, what the schedule is like, and then you're managing this new tiny human. So what if at the time of the appointment, some stuff goes down, you know, all of these factors, I mean, putting them in a car seat, driving, however, potentially long, I live in Atlanta. So to go anywhere is a 30 plus minute investment. So it's just like, I get that. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. 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 So that, that's amazing. And you just got to be in your like oxytocin bubble and kind of setting the tone of that throne you were on. I mean, you were, you were treated like the queen that you are, you know, in this new phase that you were entering into. I just think that's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I remember I was still, I mean, they cleaned me up a little bit, but of course the first thing my son did was like shit all over me. Um, so, <laughs> Hi, <Mom. laughs> so I, was, I was pretty gross. And by the time their next visit, I mean, the next morning rolled around so quickly. And I remember one of the students texted me and she was like, we're on our way. And I just said, I look and smell kind of like yesterday. I have not showered. And she said, don't worry. And when she got there, um, one of them was doing some of the baby checks and the other one took me into the shower where I had done a lot of laboring and she washed my hair, brushed my hair, like washed my body. It was amazing. She, they just kept treating me like, like royalty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's so, and that is what I would imagine now on the other side 
of, of birth and being a mother with the work that you do, I want to get into how, you know, that whole experience has influenced or maybe even shifted a few aspects of what you do and get into what you do as well, because I know, um, it's such a necessity what you are up to. And so many mamas, um, need this kind of information and resources, um, so I just said a lot of things there, but what I, what I want to get into is what you do as a maternal health consultant. Sure. Um, so <clears throat> as I've mentioned, I formally trained um, as a social worker and then got a master's of science in maternal child health. So was um, pretty early on in my career working with moms during the perinatal period. Um, at that point, I was working in clinical settings, um, in kind of community health center settings, mental health settings. Um, and when we left the U.S. to go back to Mexico, I set up a private practice. Um, and in that private practice, I was still very focused on the postpartum period and kind of the perinatal, so pregnancy through postpartum. But I started noticing that the women I worked with um, always came and arrived uh, in crisis. They found me or got a referral um, at the point where they were just really, you know, at the peak of anxiety or unhappiness um, or just the the overwhelm of emotions that postpartum holds. Um, and I and I also knew that a lot of these women were self employed. So I restructured the way I work with folks. Um, and this was this was two years into my private practice. This was 2015. Um, I restructured things to specifically work on maternity leave and postpartum planning with women who are in the second, third trimester. Um, because then I found that I was, we were able to do some, and this is a lot of first time moms. So, um, and usually first time moms who aren't in the world of maternal health by training. So there's right. lots of things that you just, you don't know, you don't know, and it's hard to plan for what you don't know. Um, so that has worked really well. I still work with folks into the postpartum period, but it means that we've been able to establish the rapport and the trust and the just logistics of planning for postpartum in a way that, that avoids, um, crisis, in like a catastrophic way. That is amazing. I love that. So it's like a proactive approach um, to minimizing what could and will likely show up. And that doesn't mean those things won't show up, but how can you manage yourself as effectively, as healthfully as possible with, with given all of these new circumstances you'll be experiencing? Yes. And one like one really clear cut example that I always like to give of a tool that I use, which I'm totally happy to share it with you all if you, you want to take a look. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's, it's called the postpartum eco map. And it essentially, you know, it's kind of a workbook style thing that you print out and you begin drawing out all your supportive others. Mm. And so at the end of drawing this, at the end of the exercise, you've drawn out a web of support and you're really clearly able to see where you have a lot of support in your life and where there are gaps. Um, and so it turns into an exercise in kind of visualizing what the current status of your support network is and, and filling the gaps to be able to move it, turn it into what you want your support network to look like postpartum. That is really powerful. I love that. Um, cause there is this, you know, question that comes up around, 
having a baby and then of course being a mom, you know, you're never ready. You're never really ready. And I appreciate that in certain contexts because I, I feel like it it helps when you're dealing with certain things that are uncertain or or new and you feel kind of like a hot mess. Like, yes, there's this allowance you give yourself that this is a new experience, but I don't think the whole you're never ready writes off you know, you can't prepare in some way. You can't acquire the tools, acquire the tribe and the support team, the coaches, the whoever to support you as much as possible. Um, Because I think sometimes when we get into, you know, you're never ready, that it just writes off that, you know, like it's this luck of the draw thing and you're, you know, well, you just show up and, but no, there's things you can do. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, we all, make do the best with what we have Mm. and what we know. Um, So if you are really able to explore a little what you have and what you know, then it can, it can lead to some, some kind of work that can be done ahead of time to, um, to enter into the experience of like, like you just said, the, the kind of infinite uncertainty (laughs) with, uh, with the tools to say, okay, how am I going to navigate that? And who, like, who are the people who I would go to if all of a sudden I'm overwhelmed by X thing or Y thing? Mm -hmm. And now in this age, I'm thinking about, you know, the self-employed lifestyle, um, is a lot, it's so intricate and there's so many um, versions of it that you can experience these days, right? And I feel like there's a lot more access to being your own boss and or running your own business, whether it's digital or brick and mortar in, in all sorts of ways. And so I think we're seeing this, this wave, you know, this generation of women, there are a lot more self-employed mamas and who continue to run their businesses through the experience of pregnancy and postpartum. Um, you know, like I said, whether it's an online business or um, whatever, what, what are some, what are some of the biggest things that come up or things that you could, you could speak on or some tips that you could, you know, give to listeners who might be in that case or want to be, you know, maybe there are new moms who want to shift into, um, you know, that self-employed kind of lifestyle. Yeah. So I, I always start with the kind of just (laughs) honest take on things that, because there's in the U.S. no like federal maternity leave policy, um, <laughs> a whole that, other topic. Yeah, <laughs> that that all women are kind of in this vulnerable state when it comes to maternity leave. But sure. women who don't have kind of a company company level policy, employer policy, or any kind of structure really, um, it can add a layer of vulnerability for sure because you do not. You just do not have any models or best practices to run with. And a lot of times in what I've seen in my practice and in my experience is that in planning for maternity leave, we turn and look at someone who who has a, you know, quote unquote, job, job, like a job where they get X number of weeks. Right. Um, and I think actually there's that is kind of the silver lining to to not having any structures or best practices is that as self-employed women, we we can do things differently. We don't have to go full-time maternity leave for X weeks and then full-time back to work. There can be a really gradual phase into leave and phase out of leave and back into business. Um, And leaving that flexibility um, as kind of the guiding framework, I found to be really helpful um, because you you can play around with how many hours of childcare do I need to get X amount of work done? And how does that change as my 
child's development changes and how does that change as I move through the phases of postpartum. Mm. Um, but really the whole first year postpartum, I also think of like your, uh, the postpartum business here as well, um, that there can be a lot of room for experimentation um, and planning with a spirit of kind of curiosity about what works and what doesn't. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I like what you said there about the needs changing. I mean, I'm now at 21 months of being Maya's mama outside the womb and, you know, the needs change so much and like each, you know, the phases are sometimes they're really quick and the, the corners that you turn, you know, you can be dizzying and, um, yeah, what she once needed as far as time, energy, resources, things like that, that changes. And so how do you, um, stay dynamic with that, you know? Yeah. And it can, you know, it can be so horrifically scary for a lot of business women <laughs> who are used to like knowing exactly what they need to get the work done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like the type A type of thing, which I, I also personally identify with. Sure. And, and all of a sudden being like, I just don't know what it's going to take. Um, wow. Yeah. So then what are some things that you would recommend to mamas right now? Um, you know, as far as transitioning back into work, um, after, after birth, you know, like you said, it can be this gradual sort of thing. It doesn't have to be all this way or all that way, but, um, what are just some, you know, maybe habits or things that they can be doing? Yeah. So I, if I had to boil it down to two things, <laughs> I always say, uh, don't plan on working right until your like estimate due date. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great piece of weeks. advice. Yeah, I I often tell people to be down done with everything that needs you to be the point person on it by thirty seven weeks, um, and then if there ends up being you know two weeks, three weeks, even four or five weeks left before your your baby arrives. Um, don't doubt that you will find things to do, <laughs> but setting it up so that you have that buffer room to not do whether or not your baby has arrived. Maybe you just need some long naps, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, that creating a buffer is helpful. Um, and the second thing that's one of my like guiding pillars is, um, is really what we were just talking about to not plan on your first week back to work being like a full, full work week, mm. doing all the things you were doing before you left, have it like pick the lowest hanging fruit that makes the biggest impact for your work and start with six hours, eight mm -hmm. hours, 10 hours, um, and try it on and see how it feels. Um, and then you can pivot based on what you need in the moment, because it's, it's really hard to plan to be back a hundred percent and then realize that you'd actually like to be back at like 20% capacity. Yeah. Um, but it's much easier to just plan for less. And if you have more to give, then you can do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause, I mean, I, I think back over the past year, there were times when depending on how the week would be going or, or flowing, I would be like, okay, I just want a mom full time. Honestly, that, that seems more appealing than what this is right now because dancing and like balancing all these things, not, 
not working for me so well right now. And then there were times when I'd be in this super great creative productive mode. And I'd be like, I just want to work all the time. I want her in daycare 24 seven, you know, that sort of thing. And, and feeling like it would be almost easier to have one way or the other rather than this like kind of hybrid thing that's going on. Um, but I think that was just indicative of not having certain things in place, you know what I mean? And not um, reiterating and, re- and reaffirming for myself what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, so tapping into those things and having resources like you, having you know the tools that you mentioned, like that eco map, all of that kind of stuff uh, helps you to draw upon on those days where you're like, F this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all need that like fortifying work. Yeah. To fall back on when we're like, wait, why did I make this choice? What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Who am I? <laughs> so how can women get in touch with you or get access to some of the stuff that you offer as far as resources and um, just how they can implement some of what you teach into their lives? Yeah. So my uh, home on the internet is just my name. It's Ariana Tabawada. Dot com. Um, not an easy name to spell, I know. So we can send, we can include the link in, in you know, the notes for the podcast. Yes, absolutely. Links to um, anything and everything you'll need will be in the show notes. Yeah. And I, I'll, we can also throw in there the, the postpartum eco map that I mentioned. Wonderful. So it's just something you can download and work through at your own time. Cool. That's amazing. Ariana, I'm so grateful to you um, for sharing so much of yourself, sharing, you know, emotional, personal parts of your story, and then your professional um, wisdom and mental prowess. It's just uh, awesome. And I'm sure there will be some great conversations and questions drummed up from listening to this. And I'm sure you'll have some people reaching out to you, wanting, wanting to know more. <laughs> yeah. Happy to chat with anyone. Awesome. Well, is there any final thing that you would just like to leave mamas with, or, you know, in, in your practice, when you're working with women, something that you just really, uh, strive to impress and, and, uh, leave an imprint of as far as, um, an affirmation or a reminder or something like that? Yeah. Well, what, stuck with me through my birth story was um, that I think applies to motherhood, my journey of motherhood, but also others journey of of motherhood is, is find the right mix between information and intuition. Um, And it might, you might need to lean into one more and back out of one more at different times um, in the journey. But that I think I take that with me every day. Mm, That's beautiful. I, I completely agree that, um, that balance that yin that yang that, you know, black and white, it's, you know, find what works for you and use the, use the right mixture of, of the both. Um, Ariana Tabuala, thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah and Matthew for having me. Quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved? Datages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, 
check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.